you know, you have all this craziness <laughs> in the economy going on, and and Ranga's just here, just powering through it. You know, going from point eight to like three point two in a couple of days, like you know, the the power of NFTs, go Ranga. The power of DGens. The power go of DGens. Hello and welcome back to the Floorcast, episode 38, back once again with all the C's. None other than Corwin, of course, joining me. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, Pat. Just okay? Not wonderfully? <laughs> yeah, not, not wonderfully today. I'm doing okay. In good spirits, but the weather has just been terrible the past three days. Like the storm, oh, man. the storm came over here. It's just been raining cats and dogs. Like I'm waking up to text from like Chris K sending me pictures of dogs and cats falling from the sky. Like it's, <laughs> it's rough out on these streets, you know, rough out on these streets. I heard it's coming down to the UK. No way. I believe coming it. down. Isn't it always raining in the UK? Going across, I don't know, uh, geography not good, but apparently the storm is coming over at some point. You can also hear Chris K making a return. And recently in your bio, I saw, and I quote, do stand up at Floorcast. So explain that one for me. Yeah, wait, this isn't a comedy podcast? I thought it was. Not intentionally. Uh. Oh, well, um, I'll try and talk about some serious stuff and maybe we'll change that. Um, but great being back. I'm honestly surprised I've not been sort of kicked off at this point. Um, so that's great. I second Cohen's disappointment with the weather. It's absolutely terrible here in New York. I want sort of summer back at this stage. Can I also say that I shared a floor pass with someone that I know who listens to the floor cast? Chris would not stop talking about that. <laughs> And uh, they messaged me saying, loving the Revent farce in Floorcast, by the way. Corwin's stoned laughter, also CK's accent. It's like he's put it through a VPN <laughs> equals no idea where he's really from. And so I just said, okay, you need a floor, <laughs> you need a floor token. Gave it to him and... <laughs> He said some other funny things, such as there's definitely an Irish twang in there. You should do a slow reveal where you picked up each part of your accents from. And then he said, it's more like Hugh Jackman and someone from Lincoln in the UK, which I thought was also really funny. Any, any comments on that, Chris? Yeah, um, I'm perplexed by this. So I've been living in America for 13 years, so... I have a bit of a messed up accent at this stage. It's really disappointing when I go back to England and people are like, hey, you sound American. So that upsets me. The Irish twang, that that is surprising because I'm not anywhere near Ireland. I like the idea of teasing this over a few episodes. Yeah, like in your intro for every episode you come on, just give us like a tidbit of your bio to let us know where you've picked up that bit of accent yeah, from. Yeah, so... Like I say, America for the past 13 years. Before that, I lived in Brighton on the south coast of England. So that is this week's clue. Oh, okay. It's coming together now. And, and not to make this the Chris K show, but you got a few Star Wars questions in the Floorcast channel. And look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I wouldn't say I'm like a fanatic. So I don't really know where to start with those. Yeah, I, I think we should do a special like movie um, episode or something where we just watch something um, and just add our sort of commentary to it. I watch a bit of Star Wars. I've been enjoying the sort of TV shows. 
I like that they're trying to do more in the sort of Star Wars universe and not sort of um, really sort of water it down to the point where you have the same thing coming out every week. The new show Andor I watched over the weekend, I like the sort of slow burn, but then Rogue uh, One was sort of one of my favorite Star Wars movies anyway. It was just very realistic. It was sort of well-written. You had the right sort of level of cameos versus new characters. It's just good seeing what they do um, in the universe. Nice. Well, I can see that Curtis is quite bored, so I'll bring him in now. How are you, sir? Doing good. I actually love Star Wars. I was just looking at my floor app, which is a compulsive behavior I have now. (laughs) Yes, I think compulsive behavior for most people that have the floor app. And actually, if you're listening and you don't have a token, DM me because I've got a few to give away. So there's that bit of niceness from me on today's Floorcast. We're going to start off this episode by talking about Tyler Hobbs, his latest drop, QQL which I thought was really, really fascinating. If you didn't see what it was, again, generative art project, but with a bit of a twist this time, it was kind of customizable in the sense that you could keep generating a new art piece until you liked the one that you wanted to mint, as long as you had a mint pass, which was pretty cool. It did $18 million in primary sales, and primary minters get 2% of secondary royalties, which is pretty cool. I think that is the right stat. Chris K is looking at me strangely as if I'm wrong. I think that's correct. The other interesting thing that came out of this was that they, in the contract, had blocked secondary marketplaces that don't allow creator royalties. So there was a lot of interesting stuff there in terms of peer-to-peer markets that don't allow secondary market royalties. Those were all blocked uh, from the contract side of things. So I want to start with you, Colin, because I know you're an art collector and art savant. Did you really like this project? I thought it was really, really cool. QQL is amazing. Just looking at everyone's outputs online and on, like on Twitter and just like in our community and even like in our generative art channel on Discord, like people sit there literally for hours clicking and just to get as many outputs as possible and just see what they can create. And it's been a lot of fun. The one thing I am curious about, I'm not sure if you've seen this pet, but they, Tyler Hobbs wants to give a percent royalty. I think it's like a 3% or a 2% royalty of every sale to mentors or to token holders. So I'm curious how that's going to play out. Is that even allowed? Uh, I think this would be, it's it's not its first of its kind in the space, but it's going to be its first of its kind for a big hitter in the space. So I'm really curious if like there's going to be any legal repercussions or anything around that well i think legally they might be able to get around by this by saying as as i mentioned yeah i think it's two percent of the secondary market royalties are going to to primary minters i guess if the language is used that these people are using a piece of software to create art and they are paying for that art but they are also co-creating it like i guess you're paying to use like if there were t's and c's here you're paying to use the software that was created by two artists to create something and it's kind of partially your creation, I guess. Curtis, you're nodding. Agree? Yeah, that's the part I was going to bring up, which is there have been projects in the past that have just said, hey, mint this thing. And it's a, like a generative project, not like not gen art, but like a 10K type PFP where there's random attributes. And that runs afoul of that logic, I think, because you're not actually doing anything creative. You're just saying, okay, here's some money, give me the art, and then you're going to give them royalties. But in this case, like you said, this is really no different than someone opening up Photoshop or Figma, creating something. There are some constraints that are introduced by uh, Hobbes, but like you're creating an actual piece of art. So if legally challenged, you could say that Minter actually created that art. So I think they get around that pretty well. And it's kind of cool to see this. The, the interesting thing is that 
because royalties has been kind of this hot button issue that's been going around in the bear. The more interesting part to me is him blocking the marketplaces that don't support it. I don't like that that's happening, but at the same time, like people are free to do what they want and they'll, they'll kind of, I kind of like that artists are pushing back on the marketplaces in some ways. So I'm kind of torn between the two. What do you guys think about that? I like it. I like it. I, I really do like it. I think that marketplaces are creating and generating value via the facilitation of transactions. But like X2Y2 through a massive strop, like a lot of their volumes are just pure wash trading. NFTstatistics.eth does a great job of being like, oh, look at that. There's someone who's sold like a 30 ETH asset to themselves 30 times over the last like 10 days. You can see it. Loads of wash trading there being done to kind of pump up those volumes. I think the kind of like recent comms that have come out where they were like, oh, bro, blah, blah, blah. The kind of attacking other marketplaces and stuff was really weird. But also at the end of the day, I think this is just a kind of a misunderstanding of like how NFTs work. You own an asset, but like if, you know, if, if the creator is hard programming uh, secondary market royalties into their contract, that's their decision. It's nothing to do with like decentralization. Decentralization means hosting something on a decentralized like place. And if centralized silos want to tap into the stuff that is hosted on this decentralized space, they can do so. Uh, if they're blocked from doing so, that's entirely the creator's prerogative. And yeah, I, I think this is completely fine. I don't see any issues here. And I'm, they will not be the last, I promise you. I've got to think, like, how sustainable is this? Like, we all predicted this when X2Y2 started doing the royalty thing. But like now it's like you're in a game of cat and mouse with the marketplace. As marketplaces evolve and sort of change their royalty policies, you need to keep that contract up to date and manage, um, you know, who you're allowing to trade your NFT. You know, I can see marketplaces getting sort of really sneaky around this and essentially creating new contracts per sale to get around this as well. Um, so then you're in a place where you could never possibly keep up with this. Yeah, I, I just don't see this sort of being a thing for a while because of, for the first sort of a long period, because it's just so easy to get around and it's just so much effort needed on the um, creator's side if they want to try and collect those royalties. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. In terms of the collection itself, why is it worth so much? I, I was talking to Corwin at the weekend about this, and like I, I really don't get it. It's a cool sort of generative art creator tool, though honestly, I feel like you could just right-click and save as the tool. But like all of the art I've seen has been sort of very derivative. And sure, you have sort of sliders where you can sort of change the output, but you know, you still sort of generally know where it sort of came from. Where is the ROI here? Why is it so valuable? It's just art, right? Like why is any piece of art valuable? I personally don't, I, I could never personally see myself ever apportioning a large percentage of my wealth to things that I just think look good and are culturally relevant. I think I could see myself collecting bits of art, and I, and I have done through NFTs so far, n nothing physical. But I think there's definitely a market for that. And people in 15, 20 years, I'm sure, will be saying stuff like, I've got a Tyler Hobbs piece. And I, I, I think that it's a bet on that artist being culturally relevant for the next however many years and decades in the same way that people have done with with artists of the past that that's kind of my take Corwin, as the most seasoned art collector here do, do you agree with that take it's definitely interesting chris brought up a great point actually when we talked about this before before recording this what is stopping someone from just generating um just like amazing pieces through this generator and creating their own collection right because this isn't 
this is it art but it, but it's an ip thing right because mm. the, the generator has to have some uh, some input right and that that input and that, that's correct but how do you know it came from that generator and i just and and chris k didn't just generate it using code himself and the reason why i'm saying that is because like this isn't like this isn't a project that's like tyler tyler put this together he generated these himself like you know how you always have the artist touch like people will go out and like buy and but the artist touch is the input right but you get to select out of hundreds, if not mil- hundreds of thousands, if not million selections. I don't know. It, get, it gets weird here. I love that idea, by the way. I love it. I would do it personally if I had the money for it. But I don't even know how I would even come down to my favorite one that I want to admit. You know. But I'm just saying, like Chris, I I do see I, I do see Chris Chris's point of view. Yeah, and like this is generative art. Like, sure, the artist, whether they're physical art, whether they're a programmer, they create the algorithm that takes a number of inputs and does stuff with some is the output of that algorithm always going to be valued art I, i'm sure you get a lot of things that look total trash so you know typically you know with these generative collections you have a hand curated element to it where you know you generate lots of things the artist will sort of look at them they'll tweak they'll sort of pick the sort of sets they like and generate more from them like that to me is sort of that sort of curated generative um, art piece Whereas here, I don't know. It's I think it's really cool. I I was just surprised how much ETH was sort of flying around uh, when this thing was on sale. One interesting thing I just uh, read up on their site because I was interested in some of the nuts and bolts of this. You can use this generator just to create whatever art and right-click save it and have that. Like th- This is going to be, as long as the website's up, this tool is available for anyone to use to create a piece of work. The mint pass is required to mint it as an official QQL NFT, and there's a very limited number of those. So that's kind of an interesting take on it, where, like you said, you could get very close to an existing piece that's on OpenSea that is an NFT, but it won't actually be an NFT. You could make it in some other uh, collection, but it won't be like the official Tyler Hobbs collection. Interesting. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I think there's going to be a ton of stuff like this in the near future. We'll move on to our next topic, which is Renga. So, Curtis, I'm not going to lie to you. I actually have no idea what this NFT project is or how it works. So I know that we've said that I'm going to be giving the overview for this one, but I think you're in a better place to do it. So I'm going to hand over to you. Tell me what Renga is and why it's done so well as an NFT project. Yeah, so I'll start with what it is now and then I'll go back with a little bit of history. So Renga is a collection from a company called Dirty Robot Art or Dirty Robot. It's a really, really distinctive art style that a lot of people really like. It's got kind of like this anime vibe to it. So they just dropped a collection, the Renga, which you got airdropped a black box if you owned a previous The Art of Seasons collection. And they also had a pre-mint to be able to get some of those black boxes. And the mechanic was you could burn your black box to get one of these Renga PFPs or you could keep it. So it's kind of like that artifact mentalist kind of mentality where the black box supplies can be decreasing. People could choose to hold on and maybe try and uh, take advantage of supply demand mechanics there and maybe get a higher price for the black box or they could just mint and try and get one of the PFPs. I think it's doing well just because of the quality of the art. So Art of Seasons was a beautiful collection, was a really, really, I don't know if it was a free mint or like is nearly free, like is such, uh, such a low mint price. But that happened at kind of the tail end of the bowl. Then through the bear market, um, it's been a number of months where they've been teasing art for Renga and other projects. And it's all just been really, really high quality along the same lines of this art style. So I think it's just doing well because it's a different take on the anime 
kind of PFP, but a refreshing one and really, really high quality. How impressive is it, Chris K, that they have done this well during a market that has fallen a lot in terms of trading volume and in general kind of like market cap? I think it's very impressive. Um, like all summer, we've been seeing a, a ton of free mints, which obviously they're going to sort of sell out, but anything paid has sort of really struggled. Even like big brands like Pool Suite, um, have had trouble selling out their PFP collection. You know, I think they've, I think Renga has sort of really built on the hype. I think, you know, they've gone up first. Um, and, you know, I agree with uh, Curtis here. Like, it's a very distinctive sort of take on sort of the anime style that seems to be all the rage these days. Um, so if you're into that sort of art, it's got an immediate appeal. And then, you know, I think um, they've also just played up a lot of the aspects around the team behind it. Um, they've got an interesting minting mechanic there. Um, that's all sort of came together into this sort of perfect storm that's sort of getting DGENs interested again and sort of pumping up volume in the collection. Um, so, you know, I, I'm pleased that they're doing well. I think it's sort of a good sign in terms of the market, even though we are going through this bear patch. But yeah, really sort of um, interesting one to watch. I like that bear patch, not bear market. <laughs> Corwin, any thoughts on this project? You know, there's a lot going on in the world. You got you got that credit that credit company going down. You have all this, you know, you have all this craziness <laughs> in the economy going on, and and Ranga's just here, just powering through it. You know, going from point eight to like three point two in a couple of days. Like, you know, the the power of NFTs. Go Ranga. The power of DGENs. The power Go of DGENs. I'm going to stick with you, Corwin, because I want to know what is going on with Floor recently, what the latest is, because we do need to remind you that we are a community-led podcast by the Floor NFT app community. And if you don't know what Floor is, it's your own NFT portfolio in your pocket, an app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. If you're a new user, congrats on joining the community. So what's new? Listings in app actually just launched yesterday. No, Sunday. No. Wait, yeah, Sunday. Just launched Sunday. So now you could view collection listings in app, which is amazing. I think Curtis had a play in that. Thank you, Curtis. It looks amazing. So stoked. And then if you want, we're going to have our first community speaker this Friday. We're going to try to do these once a week where we have people from our community or within our network come speak to Genesis holders in our community about what they're passionate about. So I'm really stoked on that. Our first one's going to be Funky Beach, who's going to come talk to us about music, NFTs, vinyls. I'm super stoked. And then also, if you're Genesis holder and want to hold a meetup, let me know. We have a form on our meetups channel as well. If you want to fill that out, Floor will cover the bill. So. Please let me know. When London meeting? Actually, next week. So Sid is going to be in London. I think we're going to announce to the community today that we're going to be hosting something next week. Amazing. Look forward to that. Right, let's move down to our next topic. And this is NFT volume is down 99% or 97% according to Bloomberg, which is pretty interesting. Mostly interesting because it's completely wrong. So uh, nftstatistics.eth did a great thread about this and they said volumes are down bad. The article is right, but it's closer to about 85% rather than 97%. NFT data is difficult, especially with the absolute clusters that X2, Y2 and LooksRare create with wash trading. It makes it difficult to trust most media. They were quoting a lot of various gene analytics 
dashboards, but I thought were pretty cool. So uh, Chris K, first and foremost, I want to hit you up with a question about NFT data. Just how hard is it to get some reliable data out there on NFTs? It depends what you're trying to do. I've done a lot of this in terms of like building analytics dashboards for projects. I think the challenge I found is like you have a project that has sort of a decent number of collections out there and then you sort of find that, you know, they have some ERC-721s that they've done on their own contract, which is sort of fairly clean to read. They have some things that are published on OpenSea or through Rarible or sort of other marketplaces. And just sort of pulling all that data in and sort of cleaning it to a point where you can actually sort of have it normalized and use it um, can actually sort of take some time, especially sort of the older these projects are. It seems like the projects just build up a lot of cruft around data. And Dune Analytics, tools like that, really cool. I, I think one problem is most people don't know how to use them. And then I think the other is that they're not necessarily optimized for like the task of, sort of pulling stats on sort of an NFT collection. Now, if you're sort of taking a wider look and you're just looking at transaction volume and stuff like that, that's a lot simpler because then you can just pull the data from the blockchain APIs and you can see stuff moving around that way. But yeah, it's very sort of, there isn't a cookie cutter solution is probably the sort of easiest way to sort of say it. Yeah, I mean, I've done like bits of client work where I'm trying to find bits of data and it's so, so difficult. And actually the most useful things have been people on Dune Analytics, like compiling this data like as you said it's all available it's just very difficult to compile into one dashboard and then basically say that looks a bit weird and random like we should discount all that data it's very difficult because at the end of the day it's kind of you know it's very binary right there's just ones and zeros it's very difficult to say oh that's a wash trade or like that only happened because of this thing so yeah I'm uh, I'm quite interested to see how this kind of side of the cryptosphere, but NFTs especially, develops because that guy that did the amazing NFT brands dashboard on Dune that went kind of viral, he got hired by Artifact, and it just shows that there's like such a lack of like talent when it comes to you know stats. NFT statistics got um, hired by Proof, right? So you know clearly there's a bunch of people and brands and projects that are really looking for in-depth data help, which I think is a big opportunity. Curtis, I guess we've spun this conversation from being a negative to potentially positive in terms of like just how much opportunity there is out there in terms of data collection and, and, and curation. Yeah, like you mentioned, a bunch of people who have shown that they can put together some of these thoughtful analyses are getting snapped up by some of the bigger projects and companies. There are whole startups. Uh, I know of a couple that are just dealing with this sort of thing, but even on a smaller scale, like I'm a DAO, I have tokens, I have NFTs, I have a whole bunch of stuff. How do I manage my own stuff? And that's like a handful of collections possibly. And they like they have teams of like 20 people trying to do this. So to do this in aggregate for the entire NFT market and then like capture all the little edge cases like the wash trading and like other things that you may not want to dirty your data with. Like this is a huge, huge undertaking. And I'm excited to see more web two stats people kind of get into the space and like I, I would love to see someone just either a startup or someone just publish like the definitive like here's a dashboard kind of like an ultrasound money website where it's like here's all the inputs you can filter out some stuff if you want but like here's the volume like here's the actual volume you can dig through yourself it'd be uh 
really useful for the space. Yeah, I think the other difficulty is, I guess there's people that want to stay anonymous. And I guess if you put together enough data points, it's kind of a lot easier to dox people that maybe don't want to be doxed. So I think there's that issue, uh, which may be something to, to think about. I think, Chris K, did you want to say something there? Nope, shaking his head. The last topic that I want to run through before we finish up today's episode is a little bit of a brand roundup because I think it is important to think about what big brands are doing when it comes to NFTs. So I guess this isn't NFT related, but Corwin mentioned it last week. Walmart have now got a space in Roblox, which I think is real fucking weird. But again, they are like one of the biggest grossing revenue companies in the world. So, you know, got to think about where your future customers are going to come from. Warner have partnered with OpenSea, which I think is really interesting. And Meta have finally let you showcase your NFTs. Chris K, I, I guess the latter two are probably a bit more important. There's a lot of kind of, you know, Web3 music and music NFTs. I, I, you know, people keep tweeting that and getting like a thousand likes. But Warner partnering with OpenSea, I guess the, the probably the biggest thing we've seen so far tangibly i think so like you've obviously see, had a lot of like grassroots stuff in the music world artists releasing albums as nfts there's a few startups out there that are sort of trying to sort of leverage the built-ins of fan base that artists have to provide experiences it's really interesting to see how they're sort of tackling it though i, I think music is sort of Maybe a bit more unique in that you need to think about where NFTs, where Web3 sort of fits in with your sort of existing sort of Web2 infrastructure and rails. Like if I buy an NFT album, first question I have is, you know, where do I listen to this? I can't get in Apple Music and Spotify. So at what point do you see a bridge between those platforms? It's really interesting to see, you know, what Meta is doing where you know, you can now post NFTs to Instagram, to Facebook, and they have sort of the shine on them and the sort of little icon that sort of can tap to verify. I, I think you're going to see something similar on the music side, but you need that sort of buy-in from the incumbents in the sort of streaming world, I think, to sort of really have that interoperability. And I guess the incentivization mechanisms there, or, or kind of how they're structured, don't currently make sense. Like, why would Spotify showcase that? Why would Apple Music showcase that? We saw in last week's episode when we were talking about kind of Apple Store taking a cut on NFTs as their kind of like first step towards the acceptance of them and the acceptance that devs and product people are going to create apps that have NFT sales within them. But that's where we're going to take our cut. And I'm sure that kind of big brush that they've tarred that with is going to be a, a lot thinner in the future. I guess also like if Spotify are looking at this and Apple Music are looking at this and any other kind of um, music streaming platforms are looking at this and saying, okay, if you can listen to an NFT on our platform, what do we get out of this? And I think, as you mentioned, that bridge is going to be really hard to cross. Like OpenSea don't even have like a good mobile UI yet. So <laughs> I think we're really far away from like music NFTs being like a tangible asset that also work as something that is listenable. I guess the other question that I thought you were going to say is when you first get that music NFT, like what do you get with it? Apart from it being an ownable piece of media, like what perks do I get from that rather than listening on Spotify? Because I guess, the, you know, it is kind of like owning an album to some extent, but I suppose that because they're digital and there's like no friction to giving you perks for a plethora of other things, I guess there's going to be some ex expectance there from 
the consumers of this music as to to what those things are, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And like, I look at sort of how folks are approaching the ticketing space um, here and like thinking about what fan experiences you can unlock. So, you know, you buy an empty album. Do you get sort of um, behind the scenes content, documentaries, PDFs of the set list, um, uh, images, um, anything sort of exclusive that you may not ordinary ordinarily have access to like i think that's the typical expectation with a lot of these music plays i think that's probably the angle apple and spotify should take and should be thinking about it is like they have the music i think that's going to be on web 2 platforms for a long time just because of how streaming deals are cut how they're currently dealing with royalties and just these companies don't move very fast at all um and they're also desperately trying to um, hang on to their sort of legacy revenue streams so i think what would be really interesting is like how you could tie that with the world of web 3 where you could unlock fan experiences maybe you get content maybe you get access access to ticketing, maybe you get access to sort of other sort of complementary platforms, but all sort of built around the fact that, you know, these artists have that built-in fan base. And, you know, these are people who care about um, the extras. Yeah, cool. And go on, I thought you were going to say something there. No, no thoughts on music NFTs at all? I'm just, no, I feel like token-gated movie NFTs are going to make way before we really go into like the music NFT era. Like, I know that sounds weird, but like, I feel like Netflix or some big company like Warner, I know you mentioned Warner too. I know Warner has music and they have movies, but I feel like there's going to be like some sort of way to just introduce people to this new tech, which is like, hey, you can watch a movie if you own this, you get to watch it like 10 days before, etc. I know it's going a little bit off, but that's just my take on that situation. Yeah, actually, Netflix have been doing sort of things like that, not necessarily NFT based, but if you're sort of a fan of a certain thing, they did it with Sandman recently, where they'd send you a link where you could watch it sort of, I think, sort of a few days before it was actually available on the service. That's sort of cool. And one thing you brought up sort of movies, like one sort of question is like, do you own your content anymore? Like with entertainment with music you're more sort of renting access to it so you know they're trying to think about how that applies to a world where you sort of own these digital assets you know it, it maybe isn't even compatible in the way that we're thinking like you, you, the tv show will not be an nft the music album will not be an nft but you have these things around it that uh, potentially could be but did you did you see the um the love death and robots netflix nft thing so they launched a collection. It was like a IRL scavenger hunt, but also virtual. And 32,000 people went to look for the QR codes that grant them access to Mint NFTs. And they were selling for super cheap, right? They were really, really accessible. But the point was they gathered like loads and loads and loads of interactions, loads of views on the OpenSea pages, loads of views on the, like the scavenger hunts, and then like yeah, tens of thousands of people going out to look for these QR codes. So it was a really interesting way for using like digital assets as a kind of marketing stunt, to be honest with you. And I think that, that yeah, like there's going to be more of this stuff in media generally. Yeah, I'm looking at this now. So it's $3 to um, mint one of their NFTs. I, I love the sort of show great animation everyone should check it out 
this is sort of a really interesting tie. And I'd imagine for many sort of viewers, like this is their first, maybe their only NFT. And, you know, as part of a marketing campaign, I think if it's got the engagement you're saying, it's sort of done its job and worked really well. Like, that's kind of where I see NFTs sort of fitting in, at least initially with sort of entertainment brands. So like, let's say you're watching Mythic Quest on Apple TV. Maybe you they release sort of a fake NFT collection, which is sort of based on the TV show plot and like the video game that they're developing on the show. Like I can see lots of creative tie-ins there that make sort of people connect with the sort of cinematic universe, make them feel like they're part of it, as well as just providing sort of a bit of entertainment, a bit of engagement with the fans. And you bringing up Scavenger Hunt, I forgot, uh, Universal Studios did an NFT scavenger hunt, they're, they're doing one for Halloween, an NFT scavenger hunt. Yeah, let me link this right here. I just linked it in the chat. Ooh, spooky. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. They have hyperlinks now in, in Riverside. Well, that's a first. <laughs> used to have to copy and paste. Yeah, used to be a copy and paste thing. That's really interesting. Seven. So on the day, seven QR codes will be hidden at different locations in the parks. Once they are scanned, the NFT will automatically mint and it will be reported that up. Oh, and it has been reported that up to 7 million NFTs could potentially be minted. Jesus. That is interesting. I think stuff like that is pretty cool. And Universal's in the movie market, just saying. And music yeah, too, right? just <laughs> saying. You're ahead of the curve, right? <laughs> cool. Any other thoughts to do with anything to do with media, music, or brands and NFTs, guys? Or COVID? Do we want to touch on the Walmart Roblox thing? Because uh, that's also... Big. I mean, it is weird, but it's <laughs> well. Roblox is huge, so it's it's yeah, two hundred million monthly active users, right? Yeah, and all my kids play it, so I I'm familiar with Roblox and and how popular it is and how they can really suck kids into it. But it, it's it's actually it's interesting because they've had huge concerts in Roblox before. Most of the Roblox games are fan created, or the majority of them are. Some of them are are garbage, but if there was like a really polished experience that just so happened to be the Walmart Funland, like I think they could do really, really well with this. Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen Fortnite host like concerts and stuff as well. So like I, I don't think this is gonna be too too far fetched. But it is interesting to see like such a big brand playing in kind of a digital space uh, in quite a big way. I do wonder like how much of this is PR stunt versus, I don't know, like how many, uh, Curtis, I'd be curious to see how many of your kids start loving Walmart over the next like three or four years just because they play in Roblox, right? Like how many times you as a dad are going to get forced to go to Roblox because your kids see some weird cool activation in the space? Well, it's not even it's not even that. Like it's it may not be a branding play as much as it's like more of a revenue play because for context, when you create a, a game in Roblox and then publish it, you can charge for in-app purchases, which use the Roblox currency, but you're spending it in a game to get like upgrades or whatever. It's like the standard play-to-win type mechanics. Walmart could do the same thing, just offer you like maybe tickets to the concert, or maybe it's uh, like maybe you can buy certain things that are actually sold by Walmart, but using Roblox, and so they take a cut. Because you, as the creator of the game, you take a cut and Roblox takes a cut of any uh, Robux spent in the game. So like I said, like if they can make something that's super polished, that's and it looks like from some of the ad copy they've sent out, like they might have buy-in from some of the really big brands. Like there's a Paw Patrol mm. image on one of their marketing things. It's like, okay, if people, like right now in Roblox, when you create a game, you can't really use the copyrighted material. But if Walmart can bring out like a Paw Patrol game inside Funland, all my kids will be there immediately. 
Like they'll be in Paw, they'll be playing Paw Patrol and asking me to buy them Robux so they can interact and do stuff. So yeah, it could potentially be a huge moneymaker. Like Roblox just prints money. It's crazy. That is wild, really wild. Chris K, we gotta we should hop in Walmart verse tonight on our on our quests or on our v, VR headsets. Also, pet, what episode is this? Thirty eight. Can you tell me why? Curtis and I still have not received a floor cast hat that you're wearing and why I got tagged in the photo on Twitter of someone at an airport with the floor cast hat, yet the own hosts of the show have not gotten one yet. I believe that these are super limited in the sense that they were done for test runs. They were they were done like for tests to see what would what 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 we can do for actual floor swag. So that is my answer for that. I cannot be blamed. I think only four of these are in existence, literally. They are like one of four. I think Chris and Sid have one, though. Uh, so maybe steal theirs? Well, steal Sid. If Sid has one, that just makes me so upset. Yeah, steal it next time he's in the office. No, he's here today. I already got, I already we'll got go a lot it, of banter uh, from him. Fun story, I, actually, I accidentally stole one of Sid's portable battery packs and took it to London with me. still on my desk somewhere. Well, he'll be there next week. So I'll be giving that back to him next week. Exactly. Cool. Okay. I think we've gone off topic there. So I think it's time we wrap it up. <laughs> Chris K, thanks so much for joining us again. Where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Twitter at C Cahonen. That's C-K-O-R-H-O-N-E-N. And Chris K, did I read that someone became a maid with Mason client through the floorcast? Um, we've had a few um, outreaches based on the floorcast. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, I know. What are these people thinking? we got to start charging this guy rent. I know, man. <laughs> no, there's there's a finder's fee, right? Sure. The, let's uh, <laughs> talk about that when we go to Disneyland. Oh, we got to go to Disneyland. Corwin, where can people find out more about you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at 0xCorwin or in the floor Discord at discord.gg slash floor. Oh, nice. New. And you can... Also go to the floor Twitter at twitter.com slash floor. Why are you whispering? Why not? So weird. This is when Corin tells us that he actually has an ASMR channel on YouTube. Oh yeah. <laughs> when Curtis was here last week, Pat. Okay, we're going way off topic. But when he was here, he's like, you and Pat need you and Pat need to stop being so silly on the floor cast. <laughs> I'm trying to be proper, composed, and professional. He called us silly. <laughs> there are moments. I have moments. I have moments. I'm still young, guys. I'm sorry. If there's a Chris on the floor cast, then things usually go pretty well. He, One of the Chris's is here to keep you guys in, in line. So that's fair enough. You can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. And you can find us at the floor cast on Twitter also, or in the floor discord in the floor cast channel. Please do subscribe and rate us uh, whatever stars that you think is appropriate for a channel or podcast of this caliber. And remember that none of what we have said is financial advice, just great advice. Disclaimer as always. Thanks very much. And we'll have more floor cast for you next week. <laughs>